0: Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Today's message comes from our series, The Risen Life, in which we look at the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus and consider what Jesus' resurrection means for us who have been raised to new life in Christ. Here's Pastor Nick. And we're currently in a
1: series right now called The Risen Life. And in the Risen Life series, what we're doing is we're taking the six weeks following Easter to continue our celebration of Jesus' resurrection. Because we believe that the resurrection of Jesus is such good news that it would be a shame to only celebrate it and only talk about it for one day a year. Now, don't think that this is like a a novel idea that we came up with on our own. This is actually a great Christian tradition that's existed for over a thousand years years that Christians have taken the 50 days after Easter leading up to Pentecost to continue reflecting on and celebrating and talking about the resurrection of Jesus and what it means for us today. It's called Easter Tide, And so we're participating in this great tradition over these six weeks and taking some time to look at what Jesus did after his resurrection, prior to his ascension, and what that means for us as we now get to live this new life, this risen life in Christ today. And so each week, what we've been doing as we've been keeping the party of Easter and, and the resurrection of Jesus going is that we've been de- making the Easter declaration every week. So here's what we're going to do right now, okay? I'm going to say, Jesus is risen, and you're going to say, He's risen indeed. All right, you ready? Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen. risen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you and we praise you because you are risen indeed. And Lord, you have called us to new life in you. And Lord, we want to walk in that new life. And Lord, we ask that as we study your word today, Lord, open the eyes of our hearts, enlighten our minds, and enlighten our hearts that we might understand what it means to have died to who we were apart from you and being risen to new life in you. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us and empower us to walk in this new life you've given us and instruct us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, how many of you moms can remember that day when you brought your first child home from the hospital? I'm, uh, I'm not a mom, obviously, but I do remember the day when we brought our son, our firstborn child, home from the hospital. Uh, I remember it so clearly. I mean, how could you forget? And here's why because it's one thing to have a baby when you're there in the hospital, right? Because they're in the hospital, uh, they, they cook you food if you're the mom, right? They, they, take, they take the baby away when it's time for you to take a nap. You could just watch TV, take the baby away, order some food on the phone, right? The nurses are there. They give the baby a bath. They change the diapers. They, they check on the baby, make sure it's healthy, give it some medicine if, if needed. But then, after a few days, they just hand you that baby, and they kick you out, don't they? They just say, OK, go home. Now you're on your own, right? We helped you, did everything for you for a couple days. And it's like, wait a second. I don't know how to be a parent. Like, I don't know. Not only do I got to keep this thing alive, right? Like, I also have to, like, raise it into a fully functioning, successful adult. Like, who's cut out for that, right? And some mothers, You have a, an incredible task. And one of the things you figure out pretty quickly when you become a parent is that being a mom or or being a dad, it isn't so much about what that child can do for you. You know why? Because a lot of people, and I would include myself in this, before you have kids, I think we tend to think about being a mom or being a dad primarily in regard to what it will do for me, right? What it will do for me, like how fulfilling it will be for me to be a mom or to be a dad or how much fun it will be to have a baby. But what you realize pretty quickly is that being a parent isn't really primarily about what that child can or will do for you. Rather, being a parent is is much more a calling to pour out your life in service to another person, And yet you do it, of course, with joy because of the love that you have for them. But you know what? That reminds me a lot of Jesus' disciples. Let me tell you why. It reminds me of Jesus' disciples. Because when Jesus' disciples first started following him, they primarily thought about their relationship with Jesus in regard to how it benefited them, what it did for them. They thought about following Jesus as something that they did for themselves in order to to better themselves, in order to further themselves, right? For their own personal gain or benefit. You see, Jesus had come, and he had called them to follow him. And they had left everything, and they followed him. And as a result, their lives were changed. They heard Jesus' teaching. Their minds were changed. Their hearts were transformed. And they had a front row seat to seeing Jesus do amazing, miraculous things. So for the disciples... At least in the beginning, following Jesus was something they did primarily because of how it benefited them. It was something they did for them, for what they got out of it. And I would say that for most people that that's true of us when, when it comes to following Jesus. We initially primarily think about it in terms of, of what it does for us something that we do for ourselves, right, to, to further ourselves so that we can grow, so that we can connect with God, so we can enjoy the benefits of the gospel, the hope and the forgiveness, the acceptance that comes through the gospel. And that's all true, and it's right, and it's good. But here's the thing that the disciples came to realize, and that we also come to realize as we follow Jesus, and that's this, that following Jesus isn't only about what Jesus can do for you. Following Jesus isn't only about what Jesus can do for you. You know, from the very beginning, remember what Jesus had said from day one when he called his disciples. He didn't just say, you come and follow me. What did he say? He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. From the beginning, from day one, Jesus was telling them, this is about more than just what you are going to get out of it right? This calling to follow him is not just about what Jesus can do for you. Friends, I would tell you this. Not only is it something bigger than what Jesus can do for you personally, but I'll tell you this. It's also about something better than just what Jesus can do for you personally. And in our passage today, we're going to see that after Jesus' resurrection, he met with his disciples, and he handed them his baby, he handed them his baby, his mission, this fledgling church, this group of people for whom he had come and lived and died so that they could be saved and redeemed. This was his baby. It was the reason he had come. And now it, was, it existed, but it was just existing in its infancy. And Jesus handed it over to his disciples. This group of like blue collar workers and like social outcasts, right? Who are they? to take charge of his church? Who are they to take the reins of his mission, right? Who, who are these people? How in the world does, are these people equipped to carry out the mission of God in the world, and the care for Jesus' precious church for which he gave his life? And here's what's even crazier. If we think about them, and we think about how unqualified and unprepared they were, then what about us? Because this task is still ongoing, guys. This means that what Jesus called them as followers of him to do back then is the same thing that Jesus calls us as followers of him today to do today. And therefore, this calling is an integral part of what it means to live the risen life. That's what we've been talking about, right? This new and risen life. What does it mean? Well, an integral part of it is this calling, this commission to follow Jesus and do these things. And let's talk about what that, what that calling is. The title of today's message is The Great Commission. The Great Commission. And here's what we're going to see in this passage. We're going to see that to be a follower of Jesus means being called to carry out his purpose by his power with the promise of his presence. You guys like alliteration? I do, too. Okay, so there's some alliteration for you. And I'd like you to write down that sentence in your notes, if you would. Write down that sentence in the margin of your Bible. That's also going to be the outline for our message today. So write it down, take a photo, whatever you got to do. Memorize it so that later on, when you leave here today, you're going to keep this in your mind. That's the outline for studying our passage. To be a follower of Jesus means to be called to carry out his purpose by his power and with the promise of his presence. So let's take that sentence and break it down as we study this text. To be a follower of Jesus, first of all, means to be called. We read in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Now we talked about the second half of verse 17 last week, that part about some doubting even as they worshiped. In our message last week, which was about moving from faith, or sorry, from doubt to belief. If you missed that, I really encourage you pick it up on our website, on our YouTube channel, on our podcast. But today, instead of focusing on the second half of that verse, I want to bring your attention to the first half of that verse, verse 17, where it says that the disciples worshipped Jesus. Now that's a really big deal. And here's why. Because according to the Old Testament scriptures, it was absolutely categorically forbidden to worship anyone or anything other than the one God. And so for Jesus' disciples, who were devout Jews, to worship Jesus, it tells us that at this point, they were convinced that Jesus was not just a good teacher— He was not just a a nice guy. He was not just a wise person. That Jesus was, in fact, they were convinced that Jesus was actually God come to earth in human flesh. Now, prior to Jesus' resurrection, we never read that his disciples worshipped him. Did you know that? Nowhere do we ever read prior to Jesus' resurrection that Jesus' disciples worshipped him? Oh, they called him Lord. They believed that he was their Savior. They believed that he was the promised Messiah, even the Son of God. But after the resurrection, something changed in the way that they thought about and related to Jesus. And and after the resurrection, we read at least three times that the disciples worship Jesus. Prior to the resurrection, no mention of the disciples worshiping Jesus. After the resurrection, three times we're told that they worship Jesus. In Matthew 28, verse 9, earlier in the same chapter, we read that Jesus' female followers, when they met him, On Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, they met him on the road after he had resurrected. We read this, that they they met him and they cast themselves down at his feet and they grabbed onto his feet and they worshiped him. We also read in Luke chapter 24, verse 52, about another occasion after the resurrection where Jesus' disciples worshiped him. But here's what's really interesting. The first time Jesus was worshiped as God, do you know when it was? It was in Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. And you know who did the worshiping? It was the magi, the wise men from the east, those Gentile, non-Jewish people who came to pay homage to Jesus, the newborn king. It says that when they got to the place where Jesus and his family were living, the wise men fell down and worshiped Jesus. So think about this. Matthew's gospel begins by telling us that at the beginning of Jesus' life, he was worshiped as God by the wise men. And it ends by telling us about Jesus' disciples worshiping Jesus at the end of his time here on earth. Jesus had certainly, by the way, claimed that he was God during his earthly ministry. For example, Jesus claimed to do things that only God could do, for example, he claimed that he had the power to forgive sins, which everybody knew is something that only God can do. Not only did Jesus claim that he was able to do things that only God was able to do, but Jesus also claimed to be something that only God could be. For example, Jesus claimed that he was Pre-existent, which means that before he was born on the earth, he already existed from eternity past. Now that's not true of any other human being or person who has ever lived or whoever will ever live, right? You didn't exist before you were conceived and born. But Jesus did. So he's pre-existent. He is what only God can be. And the other thing there, Jesus applied the Old Testament name of God that God gave to Moses. Remember, Moses said, who should I say who sent me? And God says, tell him the I am sent you. And Jesus says, I am the I am. You see what I'm saying? Jesus used the Old Testament name of God to refer to himself, and it was very clear to people that this is what Jesus was doing. In fact, it is for this reason that the Jewish religious leaders wanted to put Jesus to death, and they say that because he, a mere man, claimed to be God. And yet it seems that, despite Jesus' claims of being God, it was really hard. It was a hurdle for his disciples to get over in accepting and worshiping God, embracing Jesus, not only as the Savior and the Messiah, but as actually being God. But now, here, after the resurrection, the disciples seem to finally understand and embrace who Jesus is. They realize that he is God incarnate, He is fully God and fully man. He is God come to us in human flesh to do for us both what only a human Savior could do and what only God could do. You see how important that is? You see, in order for Jesus to be our true substitute, the one who not only took the judgment for our sins in our place, but the one who, it says in Romans 8 verse 4, he he fulfilled in our place all of the righteous requirements of the law. In order for Jesus to do those things, to, to take our place by fulfilling the requirements and by taking the judgment, it was necessary that for him to be a true substitute, he had to be fully human. And yet, In order for Jesus to defeat sin, death, and the grave, it was necessary that he be fully God. You know, one of the criticisms that's sometimes brought against Christianity is that some people will say, you know what? The message of Christianity isn't actually a good message at all. In fact, it's actually a terrible message if you think about it because the message of the, uh, the Bible, the message of Christianity, is that there is a God who sacrificed his innocent son to pay the judgment for the sins of sinful people. And they'll say, so what you're saying is that God is, killed his son, who had done nothing wrong. Not only is that unfair, that's not even good. Like if a, if a father were to sacrifice his son today, we would, nobody would say that that's a good thing. So basically, God's the worst father who ever existed, they would say. And they would say, you know what else? He's also a coward. Because rather than doing things himself, he sent a patsy to go and take the fall instead. He sent his son to do his dirty work and to die. That's what some people say. But you know what? Friends, you, you, I hope you know this. That's not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is that Jesus is God and that changes everything when it comes to understanding the message of the cross, what the cross means. You see, if Jesus is God, if he is God incarnate, then that means that it was God himself, who came down to us. He didn't send a proxy. He didn't send a patsy. He didn't send somebody else to do his work for him. No, God came to us himself to reveal himself to us and to take the judgment for our sins by dying for us. So when the disciples finally understood that, that's when they worshiped Jesus. That's when they worshiped him. And friends, I'll tell you this. When you really see and understand who Jesus is and what God has done for you in Christ, you can't help but worship him. And I'll tell you, this is what we always talk about and pray every Sunday here at Whitefields, is that when you come here, our goal is that we would help you to see Jesus and to understand who he is and what he has done for you, that you would understand it and see it so clearly that you would be compelled to respond appropriately. Now, one way that we respond is through worship. But listen, worship isn't only limited to the words of our mouths and the feelings of our hearts. True worship also includes the surrender of our lives, the surrender of our lives. And that's why what we read in the next few verses is so important. Look at verse 18. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations." What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Well, to be a follower implies that there's a leader, right? You're a follower. That means somebody's the leader. Who's the leader who you're following? The leader. Jesus is your leader. That means that you take instructions and directions from him. And the first thing to see here is this, that to be a follower of Jesus means that you are called. That means to be called. First of all, to be a follower of Jesus means that God has called you to himself. He has called you to himself. Jesus told us, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. When the Bible talks about salvation, it talks about it as being called by God into a relationship with him. We see this with Jesus' disciples as well. Jesus called each of his disciples, and their calling was first and foremost an invitation into a relationship with him. And we see this throughout the Bible as well. We can see that God called people to himself. God called Abraham, Abe, take my hand and walk with me, and I will make you a blessing. God called the people of Israel into a relationship with him. He said, you will be my people, and I will be your God. It was a calling to a relationship. So to be a follower of Jesus means that you have been called by God into a relationship with God. But here's the thing. Throughout the Bible, you'll notice that whenever God calls someone in, he also calls them out. Whenever God calls someone in, bless them. He also sends them out to be a blessing. God never calls somebody in without also calling them out. This was true of Abraham. It is true of Israel. It was true of Jesus' disciples, and it's true for you and me today as well. If God has called you in to relationship with him, then that means that he is also calling you out. He has a calling and a purpose for your life here in the world. And that's really good news, guys. It means that if you have breath in your lungs, God wants to use you. He has a purpose and a calling for your life. So what is it that you are called to do as a follower of Jesus? That brings us to the next part of our sentence. To be a follower of Jesus means being called to carry out his purpose, to carry out his purpose. Jesus told his disciples in verses 19 and 20, as we continue there in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Do you realize that this is Jesus' final commandment that he made before he left the earth? This is the final commandment, final instruction that he gave before leaving the earth. First of all, he told us to go. He didn't tell us how far to go. He didn't even tell us where to go. He just told us to go. In other words, don't sit around waiting for people to come to you. Don't just sit around waiting for things to happen. No, you go. You go to them whoever them is, whether it's across the world or whether it's across the street or across the aisle. And I'll put it this way. The posture of those who follow Jesus is that we are to be on our toes, not on our heels. The posture of those who follow Jesus is that we are to be on our toes, not on our heels. We are to go and do what? Make disciples. Not just converts, not just supporters of a cause. We are called to go and make disciples. What's a disciple? The word disciple, it means a student, a person who is studying and learning. And notice, we're told to go, and these disciples need to be made. In other words, it doesn't just spontaneously happen. You don't just wake up one day and you're a disciple. No, it's a process that takes time and effort. It's a lifelong journey of growth and discovery and transformation. And, and who were we to make disciples of? It says, verse 19, of all nations. When it says nations, that's the Greek word, ethne, from which we get our word, ethnic, like ethnic groups. So understand, Jesus isn't just saying, go and preach the gospel in every country. He's saying, go and preach the gospel to every ethnic group in the world. And that's interesting, because in the Roman Empire at this time, there were over a 100 different ethnic groups that existed within the empire. Today, in our world today, we know of, there are about 5,000 recognized, different, unique ethnic groups. But in the Roman Empire, even at that time, there were multiple ethnic groups within the same empire, hundreds of them actually. And each of those ethnic groups, here's the thing you need to remember, each of those ethnic groups had their own religious beliefs, they had their own but they weren't just sitting around believing nothing, waiting for somebody to come and tell them about Jesus so they could believe in him. It, you know, it's very common in our day and age for people to be agnostic, right? Agnostic, agnostic means without knowledge. It means that somebody's agnostic to say, well, maybe I believe in God, but I don't know what God I believe in or what I believe about God. In our day, that's very common, but in ancient world, that was not common at all. It was not common for people to be agnostic. Every ethnic group had their own religion, their own beliefs. And so I want you to understand what that means. That means that when Jesus told his disciples to go into the world, he's calling them to do this. He's calling them to go to people who already believe in something, they have their own religion, and he's telling them to convince those people to stop believing in their own gods and instead to follow and believe in Jesus instead. Now, this is where some people get hung up, right? Because they say, you see, this is the problem with Christianity. You know, Christianity's great and cool and stuff. When, when you're out building wells in Africa, when you're out building houses for people who are poor, when you're talking about God's love and grace, and you're teaching other people to, to love their neighbor and to serve others, that's all well and good. But this is the part of Christianity that I don't like, that you're out there telling people that, that they need to convert to believing what you believe. You say, isn't that presumptuous? Isn't that even dangerous? But what, here's what the Bible says is true. From beginning to end, it says this, there is one God, and he's the God of the entire world. He's not just a local God. He's not just the God of some people. He's the God of the entire world, whether people recognize him or not. And and listen, here's what the Bible would say. The story of the world is not the story of isolated groups of people who are all beating their heads, trying to figure out who God is, and the Jews just happened to get it right. No, no, no. That's not the story that the Bible tells. The story that the Bible tells us, the true story of the world, is that God created all people. And those people, from the beginning, they knew God. They knew who He was. They knew God. But over time, they turned away from God, and they started creating their own gods who were more to their liking. But there was always a remnant of people who continued following and worshiping the original God, the true God. And so we're essentially, by calling people back to him, we're calling them to return home, to return home to the original God, the true God, whom their ancestors knew but turned away from. And the Bible tells us that anything or anyone that we worship other than that true God will lead us to disappointment, pain, and ultimately destruction, disappointment, pain, and destruction. And that's true for us today as well. If you worship success or or personal fulfillment, if you worship achievement in any area of your life, if you are worshiping anything other than the Lord God and him alone, it will lead to disappointment, pain, and destruction. And so we call people to forsake all other things that they worship and become disciples of Jesus, because he is the God who came to us in order to save us by conquering sin, death in the grave, and opening the way for eternal life. And friends, think about this. If what the Bible says is true, then telling other people about Jesus, trying to convince them about what Jesus has done for them, that is not a, a hateful or presumptuous thing by any means. In fact, it is the most loving thing you could possibly do. Let me give you an example. There's a man named Penn Gillette. Maybe some of you have heard of him. Penn Jillette. Now, Penn, he was part of a, like, comedy and magic duo back in the day. But in more recent time, he's become famous as a outspoken atheist. And he has a podcast where he talks about whatever's on his mind. And on his podcast some time ago, he was talking about an encounter that he had with a Christian man who came up to him and tried to evangelize him, tried to share his faith with him. This Christian man came, gave him a Bible, and tried to evangelize Penn Gillette. And here's what Penn said about this man on his podcast after the fact. Here's what he said. He said, I've always said, you know, that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all, because if you believe that there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think, well, it's really not worth it telling them about this because it would be socially awkward... I mean, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, and that truck was bearing on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is even more important than that. And he says, this guy cared enough about me to proselytize. This is the words of an atheist, guys. He's, he, he gets it. It makes sense. See, here's the thing. If what the Bible says is true, then it is, in fact, the most loving thing you could possibly do to share with others the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done. But we go beyond that, don't we? We're not just seeking to make converts. We're seeking to make disciples. And it says in verse 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, the word baptize in Greek, it means to submerge. That's why we do baptism the way we do here at our church, where we submerge underwater. It's a picture of what? It's a picture of burial, right? When that, when you put that person's body under the water, it's a picture of death and burial. And as that body comes up out of the water, it's a picture of rebirth, being born again to new life, to the risen life in Christ. And not only baptizing them, but verse 20, it tells us this, but also teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. In other words, we can't pick and choose when it comes to Jesus' teachings. We're to teach people to follow everything that Jesus commanded. And that shows us that to be a follower of Jesus, it means being called to carry out his purpose, called to carry out his purpose. In the Gospel of John, chapter 20, we read about another occasion after Jesus' resurrection when he gave his disciples his mission. And here's what he told them, during John 20, verse 21. He said, as the Father sent me, so now I am sending you. The mission that Jesus gave his disciples was not a different mission. It was not a separate mission than the one that he had been on. Rather, it was the continuation of that same mission. You know, the Bible is not just a a bunch of random stories about God. The Bible is one story of how God has been working throughout history to bring salvation and redemption to the world. And we, as followers of Jesus living today, this is what's so cool. We have a role to play in that same story. There's a chapter of that story that includes us, and we're writing that chapter right now with our lives and with our actions today. You know, there are a lot of agendas out there. There are a lot of agendas. Maybe you've seen, you've come across some. There's political agendas. There are personal agendas. There are corporate agendas. But as followers of Jesus, we are called to let God be the one who sets our agenda. We're about his purpose. I read this recently. I found it, found it very convicting. Let me read it to you. If you say, I trusted God and he didn't come through then it is likely that you trusted God only to meet your agenda rather than trusting in a God who could set your agenda. Let me ask you that, friends. Do you trust God to set your agenda, not just to meet your agenda? We're called to carry out His purpose, not our purpose, not, not whatever purpose is faddish right now. I love what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. It says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Just as kids want to be like dad, so we, as children of God, we we want to be like our heavenly father. And what is our heavenly father like? Right. Our goal is to imitate him. Well, what's he like? He is loving. Therefore, we seek to be loving. He's gracious and kind, and therefore we seek to be gracious and kind and long-suffering and patient. Just as God cares about justice, We are to be people who care about justice. And just as God was on a mission and came to us, we are called to be people on a mission. Just as God entered into our space in order to make himself known to us so that we could be saved, we too are called to be people who build bridges with other people for the gospel so they can experience God's love and encounter God's truth. And that all sounds well and good. But here's the next question. How are we supposed to accomplish this impossible task? Well, that brings us to the next part of our sentence. To be a follower of Jesus means being called to carry out his purpose by his power. Remember what Jesus said in verse 18? All authority in heaven and on earth Has been given to me. That's interesting. I'll tell you why. Because elsewhere in the Bible, we are told that Satan is called the ruler of this world. And so the question is who is really in charge over the world? Is it Satan or is it Jesus? Who's in charge of the world? Well, in the Old Testament book of Job, we get a little bit of insight into this. In the Old Testament book of Job, there's an interesting scene in which we see that Satan wanted to attack a man named Job. But in order to do so, before he could do so, he first had to ask God for permission. Now you might wonder, if Satan is the ruler of this world, then why does he have to ask for permission to do something? And the answer is that although Satan might have some authority, whatever authority he has is ultimately subject to God. So think about what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying that he is that supreme authority above all other authorities. And once again, this is Jesus telling his disciples that he is, in fact, God. The one who has authority above all other authorities. Therefore, Jesus is not constrained by Satan. And Jesus is telling us that by his authority, he is sending us out to accomplish his purposes. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the Ascension, we're going to talk about Pentecost, and we're going to talk about how this works practically in our next series, in which we're going to be looking at the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we want you to come back and be there for this. But just think about that, about how encouraging this would have been for this group of fishermen and tax collectors who have been commissioned by Jesus with caring for the church and carrying his mission to the ends of the earth, if it was encouraging for them, how much is it also encouraging for us to know that we do what we are called to do in Christ, not by our own strength or by our own power, but by his power, his might, his strength, which works within us as we depend upon him. And finally, the end of our sentence is this. To be a follower of Jesus means being called to carry out his purpose by his power and with the promise of his presence. Jesus concludes this section and the Gospel of Matthew concludes with these words. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Not only does Jesus promise to empower his disciples for this mission, he promises to be with us as we carry out this mission. Friends, let me put it to you this way. If you want to experience the presence of God in your life, you know how to do it? Be actively engaged in the mission of God. If you want to experience the presence of God, then be actively engaged in the mission of God. God promises his presence to those who are engaged in his mission. And the gospel message is that Jesus loves you so much that he came to you in the person of Jesus Christ in order to do for you what you could not do for yourself so that through him you could be saved. And what we've been saying today is this. To be a follower of Jesus means being called. It means being called in to relationship with God, but it also means being called out on mission with God. And maybe you're here today and God is calling you. He's calling you first and foremost in relationship with Him. It's one thing to know that God exists. Maybe you say, what I already believe that God exists. Well, listen, it's one thing to know that God exists, and it's another thing to know God in a personal way. It's one thing to believe that God exists. It's another thing to know Him as your Lord and as your Savior. And if that's you, if God is speaking to you today and calling you in to a relationship with Him, I want to encourage you to respond to Him today. Respond by taking that step of saying yes, saying yes, putting your foot over the line and placing your trust of every area of your life and of your soul and your destiny into his hands. Now, maybe there are others of you and and you've already responded to God's call into relationship with him. But today God's speaking to you and he's calling you out. Out. And you need to respond to God's call to join him on his mission and be involved more in his work in the world. I want to encourage you today as well to respond to that call of God on your life and take that step of faith and obedience and join him on his mission in the world. If you need help knowing how to do that practically, I'd love to talk to you. Our leaders would love to talk to you. Listen, the message of the gospel is that God loves you and he came in order to do for you what you could not do, to save you from your sins and to be a follower of Jesus. It means being called to carry out his purpose by his power with the promise of his presence.
0: You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.